We're going to jump right into the book of Acts this morning. We're going to cover chapter 11 of the book of Acts. And before we do so, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we love you tremendously. And again, Lord, I'm, I'm thankful for our time of worshiping you together this morning. Lord, I love being reminded about who you are. I love proclaiming who you are to you, what you've done, what you're going to do. I love being reminded of the gospel, the good news about Jesus. It's your heart, Lord. It's your acts. You overwhelm us. And we're thankful, Lord, because we want to be overwhelmed by you. We want to be in awe of you. We want to be madly in love with you. Moment by moment and each day, we want to worship you. We want to serve you. We want to hear your voice. We want to see you work in power. We want you to continue to change us and transform us, Lord. We want you to change and transform our culture. We want those who know nothing about you, Lord, to hear you and to turn to you, to kneel to you, to honor you. So, Lord, as we sit at your feet this morning, we're opening up your word. We're asking that you'd enable us to hear your voice. You give us the power that we need, Lord, to, to obey you and to honor you, to walk with you. Lord, that you bless our relationships with one another as, as brothers and sisters in Christ in this place. That you'd use us like Barnabas, Lord, to encourage one another, to be a blessing to each other. Help us, Lord, in all of these things. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Last week, we covered chapter 10 of the book of Acts, and this is a, it's a significant passage as Luke is writing to Theophilus, the history of all these things that went on in the early church, this event in regards to the Lord causing Peter to go into the home of this, of this Gentile God-fearer, Cornelius, for God to send an angel to Cornelius, God again initiating all of these actions to bring about the salvation of a man who was outside of uh, the Jewish family, the Jewish religion, to bring this individual and his household into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And as we sit in, in like major themes of the Bible, All the way back in Genesis chapter 10, you have the nations that divide out into the world after the flood. You have them consolidated together and building this tower, reaching up to the heavens. It's it's in opposition against God. We watch God in judgment disperse the nations into this world. And in in that action, we are told in the Old Testament that this is God giving human beings over to the authority of their idols, of their false gods. These princes and principalities that we read about in the New Testament, these are seen as the authorities that are over all the nations of the world. But then we watch him choose the singular man, Abraham, to be this man's God. He calls Abraham out of his idolatry, 
promises to bless Abraham, told later on that he, he chose Abraham because that he knew that he was going to teach his children righteousness and justice. We watch God reveal himself to this man, make promises to this man. So when the, the promise of the son Isaac, and then we watch Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the 12 tribes of Israel, we just sat in the book of Genesis before we came into Acts, so there's a lot of this history that we see and that we understand, but when you watch God working through this nation of people, he promised this nation is going to be a blessing to all peoples, to all nations. So God's heart that we talked about last week was always that he was going to provide salvation, deliverance, life for all peoples. In the Jewish culture, this became very isolating. And they only thought about themselves, even though there's plenty of, of indicators and prophecies that, that God is the God of all, and that he desires all to be saved, that all would come to him. So as we watch here in the book of Acts, God's heart being exposed to his followers at this time. And this is new to them. This is, this is something that is shocking. So that as we begin chapter 11 this morning, says the apostles and brethren who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. And when Peter came up to Jerusalem, those of the circumcision contended with him saying, you went into uncircumcised men and you ate with them? You know, what God is doing here in the book of Acts, this is something that they were not anticipating. Just like the, the disciples, as they were following Christ in, uh, before his crucifixion, they were not looking for Messiah to die. They were looking for Messiah to shut up, set up shop as permanent, eternal king over Israel, over all the nations, and we're going to crush all the other nations. This is what they were looking for. So God is constantly breaking us out of our traditions and our expectations and our cultural molds. But here, the apostles, the body of Christ, the brethren, so both men and women, who were in Judea, so around Jerusalem, they're hearing of what happened down in Caesarea. And that what they're hearing is that the Gentiles, they receive the word of God. Now, when we talk about receiving the word of God, this word receiving, it's you're accepting it, you're receiving it. It's something that you're reaching out and taking to yourself. We talked about last week, and this is always true, God is the initiator in these activities always. He is the one who stepped into our life, into our context, and in some fashion, over time, the word of God has been communicated to us. Somebody has shared the gospel with you. You've entered into this kind of corporate context where we are singing the word of God. We are singing the good news about who Jesus is and what he's done. Somebody at some time, they've opened the word with you and they've shared, this is who Jesus is. This is what he did. And again, in, your, in our context, most of us are Gentiles. We don't have Judaism in our background. Like this is us, Cornelius is us. Somebody shared the word of God with us, the gospel, the testimony about who Jesus Christ is. And we reached out and said, that God, he is my God. The actions of that man on that cross on that day gave me freedom from my sins, gave me freedom from death, 
gives me cleansing in my mind and my heart from all of the wickedness that I thought and that I've done in the past. That man sustains me in my life today. I am clothed in that man's righteousness. I have that man's life. He's mine. Now, I've never had anybody question whether or not I was able to call Jesus my Lord and my Savior. But the disciples here in the community, we're not told that, we're not told that the apostles did this, but at the same time, we're not told that the apostles didn't do this. But in the community of the apostles and the body of Christ, there's a specific group of people known as the circumcision, which again, these are going to be Jewish believers in Jesus as the Messiah who believe that you still must become a Jew before you can be saved. And to become a Jew as a man, you must be circumcised. So there, this is a, this word contending. They're criticizing Peter. They're disapproving of what he has done. I can't believe, Peter, that you, you good Jewish boy, you went into these uncircumcised men. Not only did you go into their house, but you had table fellowship with them. Again, this is, this is foreign to us. We'll, we'll eat meal with anybody, right? We can sit across the table, and it doesn't matter culture and background. We're Americans. This is a melting pot. We don't sit in this kind of culture. The idea of sitting at the same table with another human being and eating food with that human being, you are becoming one with them. There is, they are one with you, you are one with them. Their identity is your identity. Hospitality is, this is an extremely important attribute of this culture. And what Peter has done is violated their traditions. He has not violated the commands of the word of God. Yet, his community, his religious community, is sticking their finger in their chest and saying, I can't believe, not that you violated the word of God, but you violated our traditions. Now, I have to confess, um, I think apart from an active pursuit of Jesus through his word in relationship with you all and other believers throughout my following Jesus, I would make a really good Pharisee. I can look back Especially so, I came out of a a Presbyterian context where I never had an issue with church, but um, we were Christmas and Easter goers. I knew nothing about anything. Um, When I came to the Lord and responded to him, Julie and her family, they were Bible-believing Christians. They went to Bible-teaching churches, and this is immediately what I stepped into. When I stepped into a a Calvary context where Calvaries are known for teaching the Word verse by verse, systematically, I remember as a young believer there in Salt Lake City, Utah, where I have a whole community, a whole religious community proclaiming uh, to have truth And I can clearly see that they don't have truth because it stands in opposition to the word of God. I found within my own heart pride really quick, very condemning towards other people. Um, For me and my own walk and relationship with the Lord, like I had a hard time, like how can anybody go to church and not open up the word and do a Bible study? 
And I still, I still, I'm weird this way. I can go fellowship at another congregation if the pastor doesn't open up the word. And I don't, I don't want one verse. I want, I want meat. I want to know what it says. I want the culture. I want the context. I want the history. I want the application. I, I want the word of God to be taught because my relationship with Jesus is based upon the truth of his word. I don't want it to be based upon the traditions of men. So I have, in my walk, in my relationship with God, picked up those stones and thrown them at the heads of our brothers and our sisters in different denominations, different perspectives, different ministry styles. Now, I'm not talking about sin issues. So right here, the, 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 those of the circumcision that are contending against Peter, they're not coming to Peter dealing with the sin issue. They're coming with Peter for a ministry issue. What you just did violates what we think is right, the right way to do ministry, the right person to talk to, the right way to do it, the wrong way to do it. Have you, I mean, am I the only one here? Am I the only one that has like this tendency to a pharisaical heart and a holier than thou heart and I've got it all together and my way's the only way and everybody else can take the highway kind of thing? Now, the Lord corrects me in that. He's always corrected me in that. Especially in Utah, when I, whenever I feel myself getting angry at people, the Lord would always, he'd, he'd calm me down, he'd, you know, he'd, he'd pull me back, he'd draw me back, he'd correct my heart. Um, the Lord has always exposed to me that he has not called me to be a judge, but that he's called me to be a physician. A physician sees what is wrong. A physician sees the sickness and the weakness. But a physician is somebody who stands in that gap and offers the remedy and walks alongside of somebody in their healing. Where a judge just pronounces right and wrong in judgment, right? So God hasn't called us to be judges, but he has called us to be a physician. So as we sit in this context, we are watching a culture be offended not just at the actions of believers, but they're really offended at the act of God because everything that is going on here is based upon God's action and based upon God's initiative. Now, we have to recognize in ourselves we have to recognize in the word of God, we have to recognize in the culture and ministry and in the body of Christ, the delineation between, are we talking about gospel truth issues or are we just talking about personality and ministry topics? Gospel truth, there's things that we wrap our fists around and there are times that we have to contend for the word of God where we need to stand up in boldness and say, that is not true, this is what's true. And we are to do that in humility and love and respect. But there is a time to stand up. There is a time to wrap our fists around a truth and to follow and be obedient in the Lord in that. And then when it comes to ministry things, there's so many times that we, do, we just have to have an open hand. This is how I understand. This is what the Lord is leading me to do. This is what he's leading us to do. I'm not going to wrap my fist around this and start swinging at other people, but... Um, now, here's our perspective on things. So here's what we're going to continue to pursue in our relationship with the Lord. So in that, in that open-handed attitude, even these, these of the circumcision, we're going to watch them listen to Peter 
So we're going to watch them listen to, give Peter the opportunity to defend himself, give the Lord opportunity to defend himself. What is this? Why did you do this? They're, they're, again, they're, they're publicly criticizing him. So here Peter in verse 4, it says that he explains it's to them in order from the beginning. This is very specific. He, Peter is exposing the circumstances. He is making very clear in a, in a way that it's in order, it's in sequence, it's very precise, um, the communication that he's given to these individuals. Because what he's ultimately going to do is say, hey, this is what I was doing. This is what God did. This is how I obeyed God. How could I hinder what God was doing? So this is the argument that he gives. In this, as we sit in this information, it's almost identical to everything that's going on in chapter 10, so we'll go through it quickly. But again, in the word of God, when God repeats himself, and again, here we have Luke who is writing a letter to Theophilus, who Luke is under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit as he is pinning this information down. Anytime information is repeated, it is important. We're supposed to pay attention to it, understand. Um, but again, almost identical information of what was stated in chapter 10. So verse four, Peter explained it to them in order from the beginning saying, I was in the city of Joppa praying. And in a trance, I saw a vision, an object descending like a great sheet let down from heaven by four corners. And it came to me. When I observed it intently and considered, I saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild bees, creeping things, and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, not so, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has at any time entered my mouth. But the voice answered me again from heaven, what God has cleansed, you must not call common. Now this was done three times, and all were drawn up again into heaven. At that very moment, three men stood before the house where I was, having been sent to me from Caesarea. And the Spirit told me to go with them, doubting nothing, Moreover, these six brethren accompanied me. So we knew this from the last. There were some that were with Peter, and these, these six guys are still with Peter as they've gone to Jerusalem. Moreover, these six guys, brothers in the Lord, they came with me, and we entered into the man's house. And he, being Cornelius, told us how he had seen an angel standing in his house. Great argument there. Hey, if an angel was standing in his house, then you shouldn't have a problem with us standing in the house either. He had seen an angel standing in his house who said to him, send men to Joppa and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter, who will tell you, I love this, words by which you and all your household will be saved. And I began to speak. The Holy Spirit fell upon them as upon us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John indeed baptized with water, but you should be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If therefore God gave them the same gift as he gave us when we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could withstand, that I would hinder, that I could prevent, that I could forbid God? In verse 18, it says, when they heard these things, they became silent, which literally the, the silence is they are left in a point after Peter's testimony 
that they have no, they have nothing to disapprove or criticize Peter about any longer. Their arguments have been made silent. And they glorified God, saying, Then God has also granted to the Gentiles repentance to life. So, in this section, it's easy to, at the beginning especially, to criticize those who are defined as of the circumcision. Again, as you go through the New Testament, you watch these individuals who hold on to that doctrine that you have to be a Jew to be saved. We watch multiple circumstances where that is corrected. But here, we need to, we need to recognize and be thankful for human beings who allow their hearts to be corrected by the testimony of God. So here, it's they are mad, they are inflamed, they are contentious, they are critical, and from their perspective, their filter of life, they are right. But as they listen to Peter give them testimony, guys, you know who I am. And again, they're not intimidated by Peter's position that he had with Christ. They're not intimidated by Peter's position in the early church. They see him doing something what they think is wrong and they confront him about it. They give him that space to to give a defense and he gives a public defense. Here's what God did. Here's what the Holy Spirit said. Here's the vision that was given. Here's the voice that was spoken. Here the Holy, as soon as this vision was over here, I've got these three men standing at the gate. The Holy Spirit telling me to go with them, doubting nothing. God is behind all of this behavior. And again, these men were not, chose not to be gripped by their pride and by their culture but chose humility and repentance in their air and stopped talking and praised God for the acts of God. And in this, again, it's, it's God sent an angel to this Gentile for me to come into his home so that I could speak to them words, words, that will lead to their salvation. Again, this word salvation, it is so powerful. Throughout the word, this is something that God does, that he delivers us. There is a danger and God takes us out of that danger, removes us from that danger. When you sit in the Psalms and it talks about God as our deliverer, as our rock, as our fortress, as our refuge, as our general, All of these words describing the power of God to save us from harm. Save us from self-harm. The wages of sin is death. Every single human being stares death in the face at some point. And we are told through this man, through the words about the gospel, the the information, the facts about who he is and what he did, that these are words by which we must be saved. There is no other name, we are told here in the book of Acts, there is no other name that has been given to us that we can call upon. We can call on the name of Jesus and be saved and be delivered. So as Peter is giving the testimony of this, they recognize 
the truth. They recognize the, uh, their own life experience. And then when they received the testimony that the Holy Spirit was given to these men and these women as they are listening to the word and responding to the word, and the Holy Spirit is manifesting himself in this group of people, their position was silence. Again, in, in, apply this today. What happens usually today, pride is a, a dominant characteristic of the human heart. Uh, we see pride throughout um, our culture here in America. We see pride within the body of Christ. We see pride uh, when confronted with the truth of the word. We see it often where people say, I don't care what the Bible says. I'm going to do this anyways. That was for then. We have a new thing now. They didn't have all the information that we have today. So again, we watch human Pride, the, the wicked human heart in its pride say no to what is defined for us as truth and continue down our own road anyways. Again, this is the warning for us that we see in this passage of here believers are being corrected by the testimony of truth. Here's God's heart, here's God's heart exposed and look at God's action in these people and they were left in silence, they were left praising and glorifying, speaking the great things about God and about what God has done. And then this statement, and it is a statement of awe for them, that God has given to the Gentiles, to all nations, repentance to life. That is, they hear the word as they believe the word, as they turn to the Lord, God will grant to them the same life that he has granted to the Jews. Again, in Romans, Romans 1.16, Paul is not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. And right there, Paul says, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Lots of, lots of discussion in regards to the salvation of, of the Lord bringing Jews and Gentiles as one into the body of Christ. Now in verse 19, we watch an outflow of this too. So remember, Luke is writing a letter. He is very thoughtful in regards to the information that he's conveying. But he's jumping back to earlier in the letter here in verse 19. It says, now those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, preaching the word to no one but the Jews only. So that was at the beginning of chapter 8. After Stephen is stoned, we have Saul, Paul being this, this head of this persecution, this hunting of Christians. In that, there's a persecution that scatters the believers out of Jerusalem, saying that they're going to these specific communities, Phoenicia being in modern-day Lebanon, Cyprus, an island there in the Mediterranean off the coast of, uh, of uh of Lebanon, south of Turkey there, um, Antioch being a city that's right there, modern-day Turkey. But when they went, they're preaching the word, they're preaching the gospel, they're preaching about Jesus, but they're only speaking to the Jews. But then here in verse 20, it says, but 
Some of these guys who were from Cyprus, this island, and from Cyrene, a country in North Africa, who, when they had come to Antioch, they spoke to the Hellenists. As they're preaching the word, they're preaching the Lord Jesus. And then verse 21, it says that the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. Last week, I titled the message, The Heart of God. This week, we're sitting in it as the hand of God. Um, and we really can't separate God's heart from his actions. So as we talk about the hand of God being upon these individuals, here's these anonymous individuals. We don't know who they are. We don't have their names. We, don't, we just have a snapshot of their background and what countries they're from. For whatever reason, during this time of persecution, these men, they came to the Lord there in Jerusalem. They are being scattered. They don't go back home, but they end up finding themselves in Antioch. And as they're in Antioch, they're preaching to this group called the Hellenists, which this is the, the Greek speaking, not just speaking, but uh, uh, Greek cultured individuals. Now, what's hard in all the commentaries are there, this is difficult because when it speaks about the Hellenists, Earlier in the book of Acts, it's very clearly talking about Jews who speak Greek, who are part of the Hellenistic Greek culture, um, that are distinct from Hebrews, uh, being Jews from the land of Israel. Now as we step into this, this, this passage is not talking about Jewish, uh, uh, ethnically Jewish individuals as Hellenists. When it's talking about Hellenists here, it's talking about Gentiles. Um, this is what we get from the context. So um, as we define Hellenists here, 99.9% of the commentators are going to say that this is clearly these individuals are sharing the gospel with Gentiles. And as they're preaching the word and the content of the word that they're preaching is that they're preaching the Lord Jesus, we have this testimony that God's hand is upon them. This is always an imagery for God's power, his right hand, position of power, position of authority, position of, of power, of protection. You think about like walking through the crowd with the Lord as his hand is upon you. He is making way. He is, he is leading them down this path. The Lord is there blessing the teaching. He is blessing the individuals that are involved. God is with them. Uh, in, his, in spirit and in power, and we have this testimony that not just a few, but a great number of individuals, they believe, they have faith in the content of the message that they're listening to and that they're turning to the Lord. And again, for Antioch, so Antioch is the third largest city of the Roman Empire at this time. So Rome being number one, Alexandria being number two, Antioch being number three. It's a, it's a community that is known for uh, the business community, successful business community, uh, trade going through as, as goods are coming into a port town and going inland. Um, 500,000 people are part of this town. So when you put upon all these different um, snapshots that we can have of the culture and its size and knowing that it's a Roman country, here's a, a Roman city, um, it's part of the Greek culture. Again, archaeology is going to give us all the information in regards to their idols. This is another one of those cities that is just filled with all of the immorality of the Greco-Roman world. 
And it's these individuals that are turning away from their idols, turning away from their sicknesses, turning away from their darkness, turning away from their sin, and responding to the message of the deliverance and the freedom and the life that is provided in Jesus Christ. And given this information, again, all of this is only occurring because the hand of the Lord is there. Verse 22, news of this makes its way back to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. And they send out Barnabas. So Barnabas, uh, we met him earlier in chapter 6. He is from the island of Cyprus. He's a Levite. He had land that he sold. Brings those finances to the, the church that's there in Jerusalem. This is now a decade down the road. He is, he is a, a man that we're told here that he's a good man, full of faith, full of the Holy Spirit. So the snapshot is here's the, the church hears that this community is turning to Jesus and not just Jews, but Gentiles. They send this man, Barnabas. Uh, his name means he's, a, he's an encourager. He's the son of encouragement. To go with Antioch, we have to assume that others went with them. It says that when he came, I love verse 23. And I pray that this is something that we see here. And I pray that it's something that as people cross over to the threshold into our congregation, that people see the grace of God. Look at this. When he had come and he had seen the grace of God, it says he was glad, he was rejoicing. And he, he encouraged them all. He, he urged them. And he was bringing about comfort just as the Holy Spirit encourages us and comforts us. It's the same word. He encouraged them all that with purpose of heart that they should continue with the Lord. Verse 24, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. Sit in this really quick. And I ask you that this is something that you would actively pray for, for us as a fellowship. As we, the whole purpose that we gather is we gather in the name of Jesus, the one who has saved us from our sins, the one whose word that we open up as often as we gather together the one who we sing to and worship, the one in whose name that we pray as we approach our Father's throne of grace. This is the one that the Holy Spirit teaches us about and encourages us in. That when you come in and that when others come in, pray that they would see the grace of God. What does that look like? To see God's grace. So God's grace, it's, it, is, it is God's act. It is God exposing to us his heart as he does good and kind things to us that we absolutely do not deserve. Grace is always defined, it's, it's unmerited favor. God has saved us from our sins. Not only has he saved us historically, 
But from that moment that you said yes to Jesus, has God ever abandoned you? Ever. That knowledge that God is constantly with you, that he loves you, that he's concerned about you, that he's involved in your life, in the little things of your life, and the big things in your life, How many ways have you already borne testimony to your brothers and sisters about how God has been gracious to you in your life? Has God been patient with any of you? In your sin, in your rebellion, in your anger, in your pride, in your opinions, in your wants, in your desires, he's been so patient with me to change me to not abandon me, to correct me, to continue to love me when I don't feel lovable. And that as we, as I've been able to observe your life, I get to see, I get to see how gracious God has been to you when you share those things. When others, when strangers come in, Barnabas is a stranger to this community, but when he walked into the community of believers, fellowship, I see the grace of God in your life. And what does he do as an encourager? Keep going. Don't stop. Following Jesus is hard. Why? Because your heart's going to lie to you every single day. We were talking about earlier, Jesus' command of us is to deny ourselves daily and to follow him daily. It's an everyday relationship. Keep going. And guess what? You can't do it willy-nilly. He encouraged them with purpose and heart. Make plans. Determine what you're going to do today and tomorrow in your relationship with Jesus. If you don't make plans, what does the Bible tell us is going to happen? You're going to drift with the flow of the culture and the circumstances of your life. And you're going to find yourself distant from the Lord. And he is going to be there every step of the way trying to get your attention and speaking to you and don't do that and don't go that way. Come spend time with me. Get to know me. Let, me. let me expose myself to you. Pursue me. Allow my life to become your life. If you do it with intent, every single one of his promises, watch them be fulfilled in your life. If you're, but if you're not intentional in the relationship, it's not going to come naturally because pursuing Jesus is exactly contrary to what we do in our natural fleshly selves. And it's his grace that compels us to follow him, to make plans in advance in our hearts that we should remain and continue with the Lord. In verse 25 Whatever, whatever Barnabas is doing in this community is he's encouraging the brothers and sisters in this community, it seems like 
as the Lord is adding individuals in the congregation, in the whole community, in the house churches, and where their meeting is growing, that the needs to minister to the people are way above and beyond what Barnabas feels like he has the time to do day in and day out. And you can see that you can feel the pressure in his heart of, Lord, I need help. And you can just, you can, you can imagine the moment in his life when the Holy Spirit puts Paul's name upon Barnabas's heart. And here in verse five, it says, Barnabas departs and he goes and he leaves for Tarsus and to seek Saul. And he's literally, he is on the hunt for Saul, for Paul. We don't know anything about this decade of Paul's life as he's been in Tarsus. We don't know anything about ministry. We don't know anything about his preaching. We don't know anything about his fellowship. All we know is here, the Holy Spirit puts Paul's name upon Barnabas's mind. Barnabas takes it upon himself to go and take the journey and hunt him down. He finds him there in verse 26, and he brings him to Antioch. And so it says, so it was that for a whole year, they assembled, they gathered with the church, and they taught, they instructed a great many people. And the disciples were first called Christians in the Antioch. This has been my context since stepping into a relationship with Jesus as I have had individuals in my life teaching me, instructing me. Here's what the word of God says. Here's here's the history. Here's, Here's the culture. Here's the glory of God. Here's the heart of God. Here's the will of God. Here's what prayer looks like. Here's what worship is. Here's what service is in ministry. Here's what counseling looks like. Here's what repentance looks like. Here's what following Jesus looks like. This is what Paul and Barnabas are doing together as brothers in this community, not just themselves, but there's multiple individuals in the community. And what's fascinating is that they get the reputation as Jesus people. So that's what Christian means. And whether there's some that land on the side that it was a jeer, that it was a term of, of mockery in the community of, oh, you Christians, you Jesus people, and some others, it's just, it's, it's just an identification point of the culture. That's a Jesus guy right there. That's a Jesus gal right there. That whatever these individuals' relationship with Jesus as their Lord, as a community together, it caused those on the outside to recognize and say, those are Jesus people right there. Again, this is, this is a, I still remember, I was in a hotel room and the, the little, I brought this up before, the little notepad in the hotel room said, leave a trail of, geni- of genius. I crossed out ge- genius and put Jesus. Because I want nothing more in my life that as I travel down the road of life, I don't need to have, here's Blake's accomplishments. And here's, here's uh, the stench that Blake left behind in that conversation. And there's the stench that Blake left behind in that work and in that service. Like the prayer in my relationship with the Lord is, Lord, as I travel, as you allow me to journey down the road of life, and you allow me to interact in the lives of believers and unbelievers alike, may that be a trail of Jesus. 
because of who you are in my life, Lord. May those on the outside, may they look at me and say, that's a Jesus guy right there. And I don't care if it's a term of mockery or if it's a term of respect. But the the desire is, Lord, may I reflect you in a way in my actions and in my words, my attitudes, my convictions, how I deal with the blessings of life, how I deal with the tribulations of life, how I deal with the culture, how I deal with the, the enemies in my life. May those that are able to stand in testimony, may the words that come out of their mouth, Lord, let it be, let them just say, that's a Jesus guy right there. They may not like you, Jesus, but if they're going to persecute me, may it be for your name's sake and not for my flesh and not for my stupidity. And then we're given this snapshot in verse 27. We're watching Christians in action in their own community. It says, in these days, a prophet, not just the singular, but multiple prophets, they come from Jerusalem to Antioch. So you have believers and not just believers but believers who have been given the gift of prophecy they travel from Jerusalem to Antioch for whatever reason one of these men one of them his name is Agabus we see him later on in chapter 20 in Acts he stands up and he shows by the spirit we're not sure how he showed by the Spirit, but he, he demonstrated in a way on the outside by the power of God that there was going to be a great famine throughout all the world, throughout all the Roman Empire, which also happened in the days of Claudius Caesar. So this happened in roughly the year 45, 46. It says in verse 29, then the disciples... So this is talking about the disciples, right? Saints, Christians, the brothers, all these different terms, uh, those of the way, later on the book uses uh, those, uh, the Nazarenes. There's all these different uh, descriptors that are given to followers of Jesus. Then the disciples, this is literally according to his plenty, according to his, uh, the riches that the Lord has provided each according to his plenty, determined, designated a portion to send relief, literally to send service, to send ministry to the brethren dwelling in Judea. This they also did and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. So again, as, we've, as we're traveling through this, the testimony that Luke is giving to Theophilus concerning God's work in the lives of men and women at this period in history, the birth of the church as, as the word, the gospel of Jesus is being proclaimed in Jerusalem, as persecution rises and uh, the disciples get sent out of Jerusalem into other communities, the Lord systematically working in these different communities through individuals and through groups of people, continuing to bear testimony to the truth about who Jesus is and what Jesus did. We get little snapshots of the community of believers over time of the, the, the tension that they have with each other as feelings get hurt, as circumstances come to the surface where uh, one doesn't understand what another is doing, 
Here we're watching God's heart being exposed, not just for the Jews, but for all humanity that he created in his image. Ultimately, the testimony that Jesus died for the sin of every single man, woman, and child that has ever existed. As this message is preached, not just with uh, human wisdom and human words, but the power of God, the hand of God is upon individuals and is upon groups of people that the Lord then and now continues to demonstrate that his word is true that his son is who he declared to be, that Jesus truly did. This man died on a cross for the sins of humanity and three days later, he really had the power to take his life back. This man was really witnessed. People ate with him. They watched him ascend into the clouds. They were given the message that he is coming back. Nobody knows when. Again, that the Lord is, he is building people. He is building community. He is taking out of the nations and out of every nation group as he saves, as he delivers. These are, these are words that we use easy in our community. These are words that can easily flow out of our mouth as we talk about our own relationship with, with the Lord. When's the last time that you just spent a little bit, a little bit of time and meditated on what it means that God has saved you? That you've sat in meditation in regards to the words of God, the words, the message about our Lord Jesus, who he is as Christ, as Messiah, what it means that he died for your sins. What it means, the freedom that, it gave, that he has provided to you. When's the last time that you spent time in meditation in regards to um, the things that you're pursuing in your life? What you're pursuing and what you're doing, the, the things the, that you are doing with purpose of heart, do they line up with the heart of God? Or do they stand in contrast, in opposition to the heart of God? I'm, I am sitting with the Lord in a fresh way just in regards to the influences and the filters that the culture that I have grown up with in this country the things that I have learned, the, the, my perspectives, um, how I think, how I process, what I do, what I say, how much the outside things still influence and direct some of my actions and some of my behaviors. And um, the Lord's re-exposing to me things of our culture that I've just totally become desensitized to. That the calluses just slowly built up over my heart, over um, the things that people do and the things that people say. And they've created a callus in my heart that in some things in life, I just say, mm, well, whatever, that's just the way things are. 
rather than, rather than being broken about those things in my relationship with the Lord and in pursuing him in prayer, in, in not just a singular prayer, but in active prayer for people that are, I'm watching being crushed by the world and being crushed by their sin. And, and rather than just, well, Jesus, they're all your responsibility, just asking the Lord, Lord, I want to be a Barnabas. I want to be a man who comes in and, and helps people in their relationship with the Lord. I want to teach truth. I want to live truth. I want to help others be intentional in their relationship with the Lord. And again, none of us can be, you know, force each other in a headlock and, and command each other to do things. Um, sometimes I want to put you in a headlock. Sometimes I want the Lord to put me in a headlock. Again, we, we get in the book of Acts all of these snapshots of not just the church in history, but everything that we just read today, this could be, this could be a circumstance that is going on today um, just in our congregation. Every single one of these scenarios that are being brought up, just watching the hand of God moving upon his children according to his will, watching his children be obedient, and the result of that is fruit in humanity. So Heavenly Father, that is what we are looking for. We're looking for you, Lord. I want to see you not only continue to work in my life, Lord, but continue to work in the lives of my brothers and sisters. Lord, we live in a community that has the name of Jesus. We live in a community that often can be really frustrating with how they handle your name, Lord. We live in a culture that... displays the fruit of wickedness in so many different ways. We live in a culture, Lord, that so many of us, we've received you. You, you, have, you have overtaken us, Lord, and you have changed us and you have transformed us. And Lord, I'm praying for myself and for all of us or there's the heart of these, uh, the, those that are defined as those of the circumcision here, Lord. Those that would, a uh, uh, heart of legalism, heart of being holier than others, some kind of self-righteous attitude, Lord, that you'd free us from those things. That as believers in and followers of your beautiful son, that you would cause our minds and our hearts to look like him. Lord, that you would lead us in a way where we are reaching out and we are placing our hands on the lepers. And that, Lord, through your power, that you would be the one who is healing. Lord, that through your spirit, you would lead us down this, this path, Lord, into the lives of, of the tax collectors and of the prostitutes. Of the, of, the, of the religious, Lord, that are just all caught up in their things. And that in those circumstances, you'd allow us to be your mouth and your hands and your feet. That you'd fill us, Lord, with your love and with your grace. That we here, Lord, that we would be known as Jesus people. Not Calvary people, not people of the word, not people of the spirit.
that you are God, Father, Son, and Spirit. That who we are, our identity, would be sourced in you and you alone. That we would stand upon the truth of your word. That you would give us your wisdom and your knowledge and your instruction. But Lord, not for knowledge only, but that you would demonstrate your power in our midst so that our faith would always be in you, God, and not in man. Give us the opportunity, Lord, to preach you, to shine you, to love you, to honor you, to pursue you. We look to you in all things, Lord, greatly. So we worship you now, Lord. Bless us. Let us experience you as we, as we pour out praise to you. Have your way among us, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray.